0: Hello and welcome to series two of our podcast on science and society. I'm Anton Posniak. I'm a consultant physician in London. I've had uh, 40 years of experience of working with infectious disease. And it's a real pleasure to bring you these podcasts today. We've got a great series of podcasts. They're gonna be based all around vaccines. And today we're gonna to talk about vaccine safety. And it's my great pleasure to introduce Professor Karine Leconte, who's a infectious disease specialist in Paris and she's been spending the last two years away, mainly from HIV and infectious disease and concentrating on the COVID epidemic. And I can't think of anyone better to be able to share this podcast with you than Corrine. So welcome, Corrine.
1: Thank you, Anton. I'm really happy to be here today to discuss with you an exchange on the vaccine safety, which is a huge um, discussion, you know, a huge challenge <laughs> to deal with, with the, the community.
0: Yeah, and thanks. You know, in the last 25 years, uh, at least 2 million lives have been saved by vaccines and uh, and so many people have been kept well because of them. Yet we had a lot of mythology, didn't we, at the beginning about the COVID vaccine causing having microchips and uh, uh, being magnetic and in generating to your DNA. And now all those myths have been sort of disappeared and we're left with the reality of how safe these vaccines are. So what effort was there at the beginning in trying to find out how safe the vaccines have been uh, against COVID-19?
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, There was a lot of discussion um, around this, uh, mainly not even the efficacy, which should be the first uh, the first goal of all the discussions, but uh, it has concentrated on the safety and tolerability and a lot of fake news have, have been drawn on the social media regarding the safety uh, of the vaccines. But in fact, you know, um, even if the first vaccine, the COVID vaccines hitting the market uh, was designed with a new technology, uh, w- which was microRNA. Uh, in fact, uh, this technology was not that new, but because it was ready uh, to be used, because it had been developed for more than 10 years, finally, you know, the, the vaccines we had um, uh, were uh, could be designed very quickly and with the maximum of safety. We'll talk about that
0: and and it's i mean they were really very keen on on uh, checking safety in the clinical trials and in the rollout so can we re, are we are reassured today that these safety signals are still being monitored and picked up
1: well definitely you know when we started to include patients in vaccine trials back in July 2020 tens of thousands of patients have been included in a very short period of time because uh, unfortunately at that time, uh, the epidemic was, uh, was uh, raging uh, in some parts of, uh, of, the, of the world. And uh, that's why a lot of patients have been included uh, very quickly uh, in those trials. And, and in fact, um, uh, the, of course, during the trials, uh, the, the safety is very, very closely monitored. But after the trials, when the vaccine has been put on the market, Uh, the pharmacovigilance system, uh, surveillance system, uh, especially developed uh, in the USA and in Europe, for example, uh, have been able to to gather all the side effects associated with vaccines. And I have to say that especially in Europe, uh, the surveillance system has been very, very efficient uh, because all kinds of side effects, which could not have been seen in trials, because you, when the side effect is very, very rare, you need to have vaccinated a lot of people to have this side effect emerging. Well, because the system is very, very efficient, we've been able to see very, very rare side effects. And in fact, all therapeutics have side effects. What, what is really important is to be able to, uh, to see the side effects and then investigate which has been done uh, with the vaccine, the COVID vaccines
0: that's really reassuring especially uh with the diverse populations that europe has um there's been no major signal around um uh, side effects in particular ethnicities because that you know when i'm thinking about surveillance in africa in asia and latin america we have lots of those populations uh in europe but there's been no big signal there's any difference with those has there yes
1: definitely you have pointed out something very very important there is so far And I think that now, if there had been a signal, we would have seen it because millions of people have been vaccinated. But so far, we didn't see any difference uh, according to to ethnic, which is very, very important and very reassuring for for the population in Africa and in, in the part of the world where the surveillance system is not as good as the ones we have in Europe, for example
0: so I want to come on to this question We get asked all the time as 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 physicians. Which one, which vaccine should I have? Which will give me less immediate side effects? The so one that won't give me a bit of a headache and a fever and a sore arm? Which of the vaccines—the mRNA, the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the um, vector vaccines, protein vaccine—Which one would you take, Karine? To well, <laughs> or would you advise your mother to have?
1: <laughs> I would take the one available, which is available when I have to be vaccinated, because really. Some of them, you know, because every vaccine is the, the side effects uh, of every vaccine is different uh, with every individual. So, for example, I've been vaccinated twice with microRNA and I had absolutely no symptoms. My colleague who has been vaccinated with the, the same microRNA vaccine have, uh, has got a lot of headaches for one day, another one has a very sore shoulder. So, you know, it's very different. It's, it's really due to yourself and your genetic, and your genetic um, background. And so I, I wouldn't say that one vaccine gives less immediate effects than another one. What is really important is to get vaccinated with the vaccine, which is available. And, um, and of course recorded in, in the country where, uh, where you live. So for example, in Europe, we have four vaccines. So we can get vaccinated by one of them, same for the US and et cetera. Well, we know that some vaccines are a little more efficient than others. And that's why we should concentrate on the efficacious vaccine. And and then um, that, you know, that will drive us outside of the pandemic.
0: So, so there's no there's no uh, um, lower risk of developing say, a severe reaction with any of them. Because I was thinking the mRNA sounds very pure, you know, and it's just uh, an mRNA with an adjuvant or whatever. And compared with an, um, a vector vaccine, there's no, there's no evidence that they, they cause less severe reactions than others.
1: No, not really. Um, definitely. I think that the, 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 the mid-term effects are different, that's for sure, because we have seen some very serious, although very rare, side effects with microRNA vaccine, and we did not see them with the uh, viral vector vaccines and vice versa. And we'll come back to that a little bit later, I think, but that's probably one of your very important questions. But um, so far, viral vector vaccines or microRNA vaccine, they are all the same regarding immediate side effects. We might see a little less side effects, uh, uh, immediate side effects with the micro but I don't think, you know, that's, we have no head to head comparison regarding, um, uh, regarding immediate side effect between the two kinds of vaccines. So I would not, I would not uh, say anything about your know, potential difference in right. terms of immediate side
0: effects. Yeah. I mean, it's really quite interesting about this because vaccines you're given uh, two shots we might be given three whereas with therapeutics you're taking them every single day you know so these this is very different so these these immediate side effects usually resolve and disappear and then you, you may get some something different with the second shot but, Definitely. But, but what now? I want to think and talk to you about is this stuff that's been in the in the literature, in the scientific literature, all around these lo- mid-term, long-term side effects of the vaccines, which I think people have got become anxious about. And obviously, there's two things here. One is risk-benefit. Uh, let's just first, though, talk about the J&J and the AstraZeneca vaccines with blood clots and this low platelets and this, uh, this thrombotic uh, thrombocytopenia syndrome where you get clots and low platelets, these little the clotting, uh, clotting cells. So why, why with these particular vaccines and not with the mRNA did we see this? Is there any theories or explanations? Well, there
1: is an explanation with what we call now the vit. Syndrome, you know the vaccine-induced thrombopenia and thrombo uh, and thrombo and thrombosis, um, and it has been seen with the viral vector vaccine, uh, with the Johnson and with the AstraZeneca. Um, you have to remember that the viral vector vaccine, that the viral vector is uh, is a adenovirus from the chimpanzee, and uh, we have seen um, and a- a- this vit syndrome has been associated uh, with an immunoallergic reaction to to the viral vector itself, to the proteins, some proteins in the viral vector itself, uh, which has elicited a kind of immunoallergic uh, reaction. So um, this phenomenon is very, very, very rare, but very serious. But Like with all therapeutics, as you said, there is a a balance between the risk and the benefit. So the benefit really outcomes the risk, definitely. But you're gonna tell me, well, if I'm a person and I get the side effect, then of course uh, the benefit for myself is null. Um, I I agree with that. But uh, in a public health policy, you have to think about Uh, the benefit for the majority and for the group. And what is really important is to identify, uh, to quantify the risk, which is very, very, very low, but the risk exists. And you have to know perfectly the physiopathology of uh, the side effect, And you have to teach the doctors to identify the possible side effects. And, and for example, um, about two months ago, um, young woman, about 35 years old, came to, 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 to the emergency room with headache and stomachache. And uh, one of the first questions that the emergency doctor asked her was, uh, what happened to you the few weeks, a few weeks earlier? And she said, well, um, uh, two weeks ago, I got vaccinated with AstraZeneca. And immediately the doctor thought about the thrombosis, the splanchnic thrombosis, and possibly catholic thrombosis. So she went directly to, to, um, to get a, a CT scan. And that's how we saw uh, the thrombosis and we thought about the Wit syndrome and she got immediately the, the, the good therapeutic. So she had this side effect, but she got treated right away because the, the the doctors has been taught to identify that kind of side effect. So that's how we can uh, we can deal with the benefit of a of a, a public health policy and the individual risk associated with the vaccine.
0: So uh, the story you've told me it, it's it's quite true, isn't is it not that young women are more at risk of this? Is there any theory why? <laughs>
1: It's weird. We don't really know, but in fact, uh, when uh, when the evidence is accumulated, uh, now that we have more cases of thrombosis, we see that it's in fact half half. The last case series uh, published on the subject has shown that there is fifty uh, percent males and fifty percent females, and the and the medium and uh, the median uh, age uh, who was about. 30 to 40 years old now is about 50 years old so you see I wouldn't say that there is really a difference between male and females and and uh, an impact of age.
0: Well that's reassuring and news to me that's uh, really reassuring yeah because I was wondering whether it was uh, m- uh, maybe there was some association with them being maybe on the oral contraceptive pill or some hormones or something else but now that you've told me no 50,
1: probably 50, not No. yeah
0: it's, it's like that so um, in those in those cases, you know, if you're a young young person, if you're a young person under fifty, uh, that's young for me. That's fantastic. Would you tell them if you're going to go for a COVID vaccine uh, to take an aspirin for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, to prevent this thing happening?
1: No, 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 no. I, I'm, there is no proof that it would help anyhow, and the risk of taking aspirin without any strong indication. Um, is uh, is not zero, you know. So I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend to take any antique regulation Really, that's that would be a mistake to do.
0: Well, well, there we are. So th- this is the thrombosis syndrome, extremely rare. It seems to be male and females, under 50 mainly, and um, the risk of COVID, of course, far outweighs that. And, and a lot of people, Karine, you must have looked after, had thrombosis because of COVID. And, uh,
1: definitely, yeah. definitely. And I have to say that the first patients who died of COVID in France died of thrombosis, pulmonary embolism. So that's a very, very serious and not rare condition associated with COVID. And it really outweighs the risk of getting a thrombosis with the vaccine, definitely.
0: So let's move to the other vaccines now, which have had a story about them. And you mentioned this earlier about the mRNA vaccines, about this uh, inflammation of the heart and the lining of the heart, myocarditis and pericarditis, so, is there any reason why these cause this and the, the others don't? What, what's going on?
1: Well, that's a very good question, Anton. We don't really know so far. There is probably a pathophysiologic pathway uh, for that, but uh, it's still under investigation. It might be associated with the fact that with the mRNA vaccine, we elicit a very strong immune response. So, it's probably an immune mediated pericarditis or myocarditis, but I have to remind you that uh, with COVID itself, uh, we got very serious myocarditis. The pimps, for example, in children or adolescents, and even uh, in older men, um, 30, 40 years old, we got very, very serious myocarditis. And I have to tell you again, with a specific case I have in mind that I saw two weeks ago, uh, who came to my unit, as a, which is an infectious disease unit, with fever and, and, um, and some chest pain. And in fact, uh, we diagnosed myocarditis, a fulminant myocarditis, and this patient went to, uh, went to um, uh, um, cardiac uh, uh, ICU uh, for ECMO uh, within 24 hours of his admission to my unit. So that's very, very, very serious condition and, and, and more frequent than myocarditis that we can see with the vaccine. And in fact, in the pharmacovigilance surveillance system, uh, the cases of myocarditis and pericarditis associated with the vaccine uh, have not um, con- uh, have not put the patients into life danger. And most of them uh, were treated outside of the hospital or with a very short stay at the hospital. So they remain that kind of side effects remain very rare. Uh, we know how to identify them. Most of the time, they are not severe. So that's again in favor of the vaccine compared to what we can see with COVID itself.
0: Well, I'm glad you told us about that case uh, of COVID and myocarditis, because most of us are, are thinking that this is a, a real vaccine thing and not a COVID thing. So, well, I, I wish that patient well. With their membrane oxygenation uh, and they will they will come out of it well. But look, there was this, there's this. Um, interesting thing about the myocarditis that's been running around not just in uh, Europe but also in the U.S. about young boys aged 12 to 15 and that, that they seem to have had an increased risk of this and whether or not we should be vaccinating them or not. So uh, have you got any thoughts about uh, would, you avo- would you avoid the um, mRNA vaccines in these young kids if you had a choice and if you didn't have a choice would you just go ahead?
1: <laughs> well well Here again, this is a balance between the risk and the benefit. For young people, the benefit should be um, global, like a public health benefit, but also individually. And um, we have seen a lot of indirect side effects of the pandemic on young boys, uh, especially mental health and long COVID and and even some cases of PIMS as I told you, with myocarditis. So um, I would myself, and I have a boy of 16 years old, and I have vaccinated him with uh, microRNA, and we really have to keep in mind that uh, this risk of myocarditis or pericarditis is very, very, very low. Um, Even if it might be a little bit higher in young boys than in older boys, it's still very, very low, and here again, the benefit outweighs the risk. And again, uh, that the role of the doctors and the families to be aware of the symptoms and, and, and um, diagnose um, the, the side effects when it's here and bring the appropriate care.
0: Yeah, well, I, I fully agree. I mean, there's been some report here in the UK to say that one in seven kids with COVID get long COVID and can affect their schooling. So,
1: uh,
0: so you know, be, vaccinating them and preventing them from getting this is uh, seems to me uh, the risk benefits. Great. Now, I'd like to close <laughs> with the question I really wanted to know your thought on. Uh, it's been great about the other things. But what about st- safety in pregnant women. We have all this issue over safety and drugs in pregnant women. What about, (laughs) for the final comment, um, is it safe for pregnant women to be vaccinated?
1: So you're right that at the beginning of the vaccine era, uh, the vaccines were contraindicated in pregnant women because we did not have really... um, enough uh, data on the efficacy and on the absence of teratogenicity uh, in pregnant women, especially during the the first trimester. But then, you know, it's again here, a balance between the risk and the benefit. The risk, there has been no no specific side effects recorded in pregnant women, but at the same time, the benefits of vaccinating a woman during pregnancy is so high we have seen on the opposite a lot of women uh, with, um, with early uh, delivery and uh, the, the baby either dying uh, before birth or immediately after birth of COVID and uh, a lot of women have developed very serious COVID uh, being incubated, etc etc and that horrifying situations and I think that because of those situations, which were not so rare, definitely believe me. When you work in a COVID world for two years, you see horrifying situation, and especially that a pregnant woman who should, you know, deliver healthy babies with a lot of joys, joy and happiness, and in fact being uh, a hospitalized in ICU, being intubated, and giving birth to. Uh, a dead baby or a baby who gets uh, the COVID, uh, uh, that's horif- horrible. So really the vaccine, uh, the, the benefit of the vaccine during pregnancy largely outweighs the potential risk of having a side effect.
0: Karine Lacombe professor of infectious disease in Paris thank you very much indeed for talking to me that was a really sobering end to this to remind us all how much vaccines can save lives and prevent uh, morbidity and illness so thank you so much for that this has been Thanks, a- Anton. thank you very much indeed for uh, talking to me today uh, this has been Anton Pozniak talking about science and society, all things around vaccine. And I was speaking today with Professor Karine Lacan about vaccine safety. Please tune in for our next podcast and we look forward to talking to you soon. Bye bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Make sure to check out the notes for any references during the podcast. You can learn more about virology education and our other programmes at www.firology.com academicmedicaleducation.com. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.